All right, I'd like to welcome everyone signing on with us on Facebook Live right now or our podcast online. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's my great joy to welcome you. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here at Dwell Church. Um, it's such a pleasure to see your faces this morning, honestly. I just love, I love being with people, and I love joining with the church on Sunday, on Sunday morning. So thanks for being here. We're moving through November. Gosh, we're almost at the end of 2018. This, this year has just like flown by. It's crazy. We're not currently in a sermon series right now. I've been doing a little jumping around this month. So two weeks ago, I preached on how to pray. Last week, I talked about joining God in the renewal of me or, or in the renewal of your soul. Um, today, I'm preaching on divorce. And next week, we start a, a Christmas series that we're going to be moving all the way through the end of the year into the, actually the first week of January. It's going to be called Through Their Eyes, and we're going to be looking at the different perspectives of the different characters in the Christmas story, like seeing the story through their perspectives. It's going to be fun. Today, though, divorce. Uh, you may remember that originally I intended to preach on divorce in August. If you were back, if you were here back then, I had a, we were doing a redeeming relationship series. Um, I didn't get to it, but I'm glad I wasn't able to get to it because we're headed into the holidays now. And the truth is, there's going to be a lot of pain over the next couple months. Divorce causes a lot of pain. People are going to experience first Thanksgivings um, single. People are going to experience, kids are going to experience first Christmases with separated parents. Depression is going to throb over the next couple months because of imminent divorces or recent divorces or even divorces from years past. So we're going to talk about it. I want to preach a message this morning entitled Grieving Divorce. Grieving Divorce. I want to talk today about how the church tends to approach this topic. And I want to talk about how this typical approach is not good enough. And then I want to speak specifically to if you've experienced divorce or are experiencing a divorce, as well as how to stand with someone who is. To begin, I got into a pretty bad car accident in 2005. It was my first year of college. I was driving on the 91 freeway in my 91 red Toyota pickup. It was raised, had this custom muffler on it, so it sounded really cool, and had this bumping system, some bazooka tubes behind the seat. And traffic on this, this morning, particular morning, was going about 75. I'm in the fast lane, and ahead of me, seemingly out of nowhere, this, this little white car is going from left to right. It was like in the, in the carpool lane, going right across the freeway to the slow lane. I slam on my brakes. I didn't have enough time. I T-bone the side of the car going about probably 70. Multiple other cars and trucks run into each other. The moment felt like it was in slow motion. Does anybody like know what I'm talking about? It seemed like it happened so fast, but if I could like I could see it in slow motion. It was pretty surreal. I remember getting out of the truck and walking around on the freeway. I walked up to the little white car. I wanted to see how the lady was, and she was pretty messed up. I had blood running down my face because I hit my head on the steering wheel. Each lane of the freeway was clogged with destroyed vehicles. It was an absolute mess. But I found this series of events really interesting regarding the car crash, from crash all the way to receiving a check in the mail from the insurance company. There's a process. So in about 10 to 15 minutes, an ambulance showed up. Some police did. Witnesses pulled over to, to talk to the police. Some friends and family showed up. And then tow trucks showed up. And my experience was, like, I had first responders check me out. And I talked with the policeman. And I, the tow guy took my truck 
my totaled truck, and then I talked to the insurance company, and then my girlfriend picked me up. And then over the next few months after that, I talked with the police on the phone. I talked with the insurance company over the phone. I had checkups with my chiropractor for a few months. And eventually, I received a check in the mail to buy a new car or a used car, (laughs) a new vehicle. That car accident was a really long and inconvenient process. It was, it was a long and inconvenient experience for me. If you've been in a bad car accident, you know it's not just about that moment. That moment goes way past that moment. It touches a lot more moments in your life. And car, accident, car accidents happen every single day. If you just, I mean, just California. In 2016, there were 490,000 reported crashes. That's reported. And it resulted in over 275,000 injuries and almost 4,000 deaths. You know, they say when you get into an accident, not if you get into an accident. And I even see the aftermath of a car accident probably once a week just living in L.A., right? We were driving on the 10 freeway this week, and we saw a car flipped upside down. We were like, Amanda was like, how did that happen? So many accidents, especially in L.A., and I was reflecting back on my car accident this week, and I I realized we have a pretty thorough system of support for crashes, for accidents. We have a system to help prevent accidents, and we have a system to help respond after crashes happen. So we've got, like, civil engineering to make roads safer. We've got smarter, safer cars being produced driving laws to make sure people stay focused on the road and drive safer. And we have first responders. We've got tow companies. We've got insurance companies. We have medical professionals, both immediate and long-term, right? I mean, our society realizes we can do everything in our power to help prevent car accidents, but we're still going to have car accidents, right? So we point our efforts also at helping restore people's lives as best as possible after an accident has disrupted it. Does that make sense? This week, I've been thinking about the nature of divorce, and like car accidents, it's more a matter of when, not if. You or your parents or a family member or a loved one will experience a divorce. And my experience with the church over the last three decades is that we've aimed our efforts at prevention, systematic theology, preaching and teaching, spiritual disciplines, uh, pre-marriage counseling. It's, it's helping set people up as best as possible to not divorce their spouse once they're married. And this is good. And it's necessary. But like car accidents, we also need to realize that we can do everything in our power to prevent divorces, and divorces are still going to happen. I don't think the church has done a great job with response. Let's even just say the American church I don't think we've pointed enough effort at helping restore people's lives as best as possible once they've been destroyed by divorce. Because here's the thing, even if divorce never happened again, even if in just in America, if we're perfect from here forward, 100% of, of marriages stay married, even if we could manage that, we still have millions of people who have been impacted, who've been destroyed, who are suffering from a divorce. And the church limits itself, it severely limits itself when it, it reserves its work to prevention. Yes, prevention is necessary, but that doesn't summarize our work. We're, all, we're not just a preventative force, we're also a restorative force. The church needs to help set people up for healthy marriages, and we need to help care for people who've been destroyed by broken marriages. So that's what I want to talk about today. Now what? 
Now that so many people have already experienced the pain of divorce themselves or through a loved one. Now that we're here, how does the church respond? And I want to admit up front, I don't know the whole answer. I don't, I don't know the entire picture needed to heal broken lives from the pain of divorce. And even if I did, nobody could communicate that in 35 minutes. So I'm not going to try. Today, I want to focus on one part. One element of the healing work to which the church is called and where the church has to get better. Grief. Divorce demands grief. And if the church can't learn to grieve and companion through grief, companion others through their grief, we're going to harm more people than we help. That make sense? The the church, we got to get this. Divorce demands grief. And if the church can't learn how to grieve and to companion people through grief, we're going to harm more people than we help. My guess is there's not a person in here today who's not been impacted by divorce. Depending on what study you read, about 40% of divorces, of marriages happen, that, that happen in America and in divorce. And shockingly, the stats are no different in the church. Chances are either you're divorced or your parents are or someone close to you is. And I want you to hear my heart today. If, you, if you've been impacted by the pain of divorce, I see you. I stand with you. My heart breaks with you in your loss. I remember my wedding day, June 29th, 2008. Standing at the aisle, listening to my bride say, I'm yours forever. I remember thinking this is the best day of my life. It doesn't get any better than this. I remember a year and a half later, standing in our living room, listening to my wife say, I'm leaving now. I remember thinking this is the worst day of my life. It doesn't get any worse than this. I met my first wife when I was about five years old. She was one of my childhood best friends, and she became my girlfriend when we were 12 years old. We were together the better part of 11 years. The dream, graduate from high school, then graduate from Vanguard University, then marry my girlfriend, then become a youth pastor. And in the summer of 2008, done, 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 and done. I was living my dream. We we were like a living rom-com. It was awesome. And at this point, we'd been together about half of our lives. I loved her more than anything or person. I would have done anything for her. And then that moment, about a year and a half into the marriage, you're a good husband, I love you, but I don't think we should have gotten married. That mo- this moment is seared into my mind. I remember my heart rate increasing. I remember feeling hot and dizzy, like I was about to vomit. I remember the vanilla scent in the living room from the the automatic air freshener that I put up on the wall. I remember the feeling of the, the brown, scratchy carpet under my toes. I remember her face confused and distraught. She said, I need to go find myself. She left. And a week later, I was fired. How much changed in two weeks? My life was imploding, and I just wanted my wife to come home, honestly. I just, I just wanted my wife to come home. Of course marriages are challenging. We'll figure it out. Just come home. After one month, I need more time. After three months, I need more time. After six months, I need more time. Eighteen months later, still nothing. You know when you're at the bottom of a, a milkshake, and you're sucking the straw really hard just to find one more sip. 
I was searching my soul for every ounce of commitment and courage and hope I could find. Just holding tightly to faith that God would restore my marriage. It wasn't much later, my wife and I had a conversation. This thing has no life left in it. We filled out paperwork. Six months later, we were divorced. I'd never experienced loss like that before. And I, actually, I wasn't really sure how to deal with it either. I ended up um, meeting with a spiritual director to talk through it all. Her name's Bernadette Snyder. She was in North San Diego, this old Catholic woman, gentle, compassionate. She told me something I'll never forget. She said, Josh, you need to grieve. You have to give yourself permission to think what you think and feel what you feel. You don't have to force emotions. You don't have to force thoughts. But you have to give yourself permission in real time to think what you think and feel what you feel. So you know what I did? I went home that day, and I put on this album. Bon Iver. I think it's the first album for Emma Forever Ago. I put it on. I sat down on my brown leather couch. I held my dogs. I listened to this thing on repeat, and I wept. I felt as true as I could. I thought as sincere as I could, and I lamented hard. This began a long season for me of learning how to mourn loss. It was a terrifying road. It was a lonely road of grieving the death of my marriage. And all the thoughts and all the feelings that came with it doubt and fear and anger. I isolated myself, the despair, swearing, a whole bunch. Just honest grief. One of my takeaways. Life's constantly moving forward, but not much moves forward with us. Growing up, maturity, emotionally, spiritually, it means learning how to say goodbye well to things. Because the only thing promised to us, the only constant, our only constant is that as we move forward, Jesus ain't going nowhere. That's it. He will be with us, faithful to the end. Everything else, you will eventually have to say goodbye to. Everything else, you will eventually lose. People, opportunities, possessions, skills, the only thing we've been asked to cling to is Jesus. And the people I know who seem most free they appear to have come to grips with this concept, with this idea. As you say hello to new seasons, the new home, the new job, the new friends, the new opportunities, you have to say goodbye to old ones. It means saying goodbye to the old friends and the old job, the old opportunities. And sometimes this process is really fun, it's exciting. And other times, this process feels forced on us, and it hurts, and it even destroys us as we move forward. Here's the really important part, though. No matter how you experience change and loss, our souls were designed to, imp- to be impacted by loss and then grieve. It's how we were built. It's how God wired us to respond to loss with grief. He built us and designed our souls to grieve loss. And if we don't give ourselves permission to express our thoughts and our feelings honestly in real time, if we don't look at them, if we don't validate them, if we don't process them, if we don't emote them, they get pushed underground. And eventually, our hearts, our minds, 
our bodies, it'll force it all out. Our, our, our soul will process that stuff. If we don't deal with it, it'll get pushed out. Most often, though, it's going to be through more pain. It's going to be through more destruction. Grieving is not optional. It's vital for the soul. If we don't grieve, we do ourselves and we do other people harm. The soul demands it when we experience loss. And divorce is a significant loss. Even clean and tidy divorces, it still impacts family and friends. It still impacts future friendships and relationships and identity and theology and ways of coping with things. Even if the divorce is clean, there's still suffering involved. Now, as a pastor, I've noticed, I notice patterns. And one of the patterns I notice with, with people who deal with loss, with, with people dealing with loss, in my experience, many, many non-church people, I actually tend to like non-church people a lot more than church, churchy, churchy people, if you know what I mean. But many non-church people are okay with spirituality, generally. And, and many of them are even okay with the church as long as they're not abusing people and manipulating people. I get that. They just don't want to be part of it. I totally get that. But when significant loss happens, when there's deep suffering that invades their life, I've watched people who want nothing to do with the church show up to church, show up to pastors. You say you have answers. You say you can help. I'm desperate. And far too often, these people are given answers that harm more than help. My wife and I are at the end of our rope. Divorce seems like the only option. I'm suffering here. Can you help? And the church responds, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Divorce is sin. I'll show you every verse in the Bible to prove it. Really? That's what we're going to give them? Just don't get divorced. God's not a fan. Or I just found out my husband has another family. He chose them over me and the kids. I don't know how to go on. And the church responds, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Or have faith. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Really? That's the best we got? That's what we're going to offer people in desperation. No wonder they're running from the church. The impacts of divorce seem inescapable in our culture. You could make the case that if you live in America, you suffer from divorce. In ranges, of course. Sometimes the suffering affects you directly. Your wife, she's not in love with you anymore. Or your husband chooses alcohol over staying married to you. Sometimes the suffering happens to someone you know. Someone you deeply love and care for is going through a gut-wrenching separation. And it wrenches your gut, too. And sometimes the suffering happens to someone you've never met. You read a story about a mom with three kids abandoned by her husband to a younger woman. And you feel it. It opens your heart to a hollowness, to, to this, this kind of barren loss. The divorce could be yours. It could be in your family. It could be in your church family. It could be across town. It could be across the globe. Yet you grieve it. And this is crucial to grieving divorce. It's felt. Grief exists in a realm beyond intellect. It doesn't bypass intellect, but it's not bound by it either. So come back to this album. Who's never heard this album before? It's okay. It's not okay. You should listen to it, but it's okay. <laughs> I might describe it by saying it's mainly acoustic guitar and Justin Vernon. 
I'm pretty sure he wrote this album like out in the middle of nowhere, in the woods, in the snow, just by himself. It's got this indie folk feel to it. Uh, most of the album he sings falsetto. It's like, it's soft, but it's just really full of emotion and gut. I could tell you all of that, but you might say, sounds great, Josh. I've never heard the album. Sounds like a good album. I've never heard the album. Trying to describe an album with words is, is kind of like trying to comprehend grieving divorce with your intellect. It's a different nature. It exists in a different dimension. When you ask questions about loss, you don't ask them with your brain. You ask them with your gut. Sometimes the pain is so great. Sometimes the loss is so devastating. There's just nothing to say. The church often has this itch to, to rush in with words to make sense of what's going on, to explain it away, sometimes even defend God. But a lot of times there's just nothing to say. When Christians, when the church charges in with grief, into grief with, with Bible verses and cliche one-liner, bumper sticker cliches, most of the time it's not helpful. If God's on the throne. Just take every thought captive. There are better fish than that fish. What is that? crap is what that is, that causes more pain on top of their already suffering. Because how divorce impacts us, it exists beyond rationalization. It exists beyond words. And the best thing we can do is honor it with silence. So you feel it. You gut it. You grieve it. So do we ignore the mind? Do we ignore the intellect? No, but I'll show you how helpful it is. Here's a nice clean book answer for loss and the pain of divorce. We live in a fallen world, and it's fallen because for the world to be a world, it has to be free to be a world. If every time somebody was about to leave their spouse, a higher power jumped in and saved them from it, it wouldn't be a world. It'd be a simulation. We also have a spiritual enemy who hates us. He's at work disrupting our relationships, and humanity makes choices, sometimes good ones, sometimes destructive ones. We have free will. So for the human heart to be free to love, it also has to be free to not love. Hence, divorce. Try swallowing that after the person you love most in the entire world just told you they don't want to be married to you. However helpful rational answers are, they just raise more questions. Any explanation at its core, it's just going to take us deeper into the mystery. Even Jesus, while he's on the cross, in the midst of agony and pain and suffering and abandonment, what does his heart groan? What does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's grieving in this moment. Or the Psalms, these prayers and songs and poems in the middle of the Bible, they're filled with why. Where are you, God? Why are you allowing this? Show yourself. Do something. These guttural grievings. And these questions, these declarations, you don't ask them. You feel them. You gut them. You grieve them. They're not just thoughts. They're, they're, the, they're our reality, our deep reality that groaned out of us. The loss you experience in divorce, it's textured from feelings. It's painted. It's sung. It's moaned out. And this is not wrong. This is not faithless. This is how God designed us to deal with loss. So if you're recently divorced or you're in the middle of one now, my best counsel, go through the grief. Go through the grief. What does that mean? Give yourself permission to think what you think and feel what you feel. 
go through the grief. Give yourself permission to think what you think and feel what you feel, which means you need to figure out what you need to grieve. And likely it's a combination of things. Do you need to swim in the ocean? Do you need to go for a run? Do you need to join a kickboxing gym? Or play a musical instrument? Or garden? Or paint? Or write? What's your album? It's going to create space for you to grieve and mourn in real time. And actually, my experience was I moved so quickly. I'm, I was a pastor. I know the theology. I know, I, I'm a Christian. I know what Jesus would do. What would he do? He'd forgive. I ran so quickly to the forgiveness piece that I didn't let myself grieve. So what I had to do was after I forgave my ex-wife, I had to come backwards and get mad at her. <laughs> I had to go back to the anger. Because for forgiveness is actually about you, not about them. So I, after I had like, I just kind of denied the feelings. No, 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 I know what forgiveness looks like. We just run to the forgiveness. We just love like Jesus. And I had to come backwards and feel and think hard and go, actually, I'm really mad at her though. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel that. I'm going to own that anger while I'm forgiving her. Many refuse to grieve. They deny it. They sidestep it. They cling to a religion or a philosophy, anything to, uh, to avoid that deep pain deep down in their bones. And others numb it or they self-medicate. They check out. They take something to hide from the pain, escape the pain, cover it up. Just don't feel it. But here's the paradox of loss. When you allow yourself to feel it, when you make space in you for the pain, space for the loss, it enlarges you. When you let that emptiness break you open until your heart includes all the suffering, it enlarges you. It widens your spirit. Jesus shows us how to do this. His good friend Lazarus dies. What happens to him? He felt it. He opened himself up and allowed the suffering to overwhelm him and he wept. Scripture says he wept. Have you ever seen anybody weep? Not just cry. Have you seen someone weep? Jesus wept over the loss of his friend. And he knew the resurrection was He was about to raise him from the dead. And he wept his good friend's death. What's he demonstrating for us? When, when, you, when you feel like your heart is going to break, you let it. Every last piece, you don't go back. With loss and grief, you go through. You have to go through the suffering. You have to go through the pain. Feel it. Because it's hard for, for a heart to grow bigger in the midst of suffering unless you let it rupture. So you let it shatter you open. You let yourself fall apart. You make space deep in you for the pain and for the loss. My experience is that divorce offers this particular sobriety about the world. You've seen what people are capable of. You've experienced that kind of pain that just being human brings with it. And it's easy to get cynical. It's easy to let, let those feelings put you in a pit and, and take away every moment. Take away any reason for getting up in the morning. The challenge is to see all that and to feel it. To not stuff it, not avoid it, not numb it, or hide yourself in your work so you can stay ahead of it. But to feel it, to make room for it and grieve it. And here's what happens. Eventually, one day, you realize you came out the other side. It took a while, but you outlasted your agony. 
You transcended the suffering, and now you can include it. All that hell, you transcended it. And you won't want to go back to how things were because it's part of your story now. It's now an integrated part of you. Today, I stand before you broken and wounded, a divorcee. But in the words of the, the late, great Henry Nouwen, because of the grace of God, I stand before you a wounded healer. What the enemy intended for harm, God has used to beautify my life. Marriage and ministry debilitated me. They've been returned with exponential joy. Gabe, can you put that next picture up? Five years of marriage now to a woman who far exceeds my expectations. I don't think I could draw up a list for God better than what he's blessed me with in Amanda. She's the absolute brightest soul that I know. Two children, Aria and Shiloh, little versions of Amanda and me, breathtaking gifts from God. You think I want to go back? <laughs> to avoid the pain, avoid the loss, avoid the divorce. There's no way. I can't imagine a world where those two little souls don't exist. I can't imagine a world where I don't share daily intimacy with Amanda. Ten years ago, I was confused and hurt and angry. Today, I'm humbled and I'm grateful. And then ministry and church gifted back in ways I never thought was possible. God redeems. God renews. God is faithful. But you have to go through. If you know the pain of divorce and you want to come out more whole, you got to go through the grief. And if you can do that, which you can, which you can, here's what you find. At some point down the road, someone is dealing with the pain and the loss of divorce. And it reminds you of your story, of your pain, your anguish. It brings it all back up for you, but you don't cringe. You don't awkwardly change the subject. You don't leave the room. You look them in the eyes and you say, me too. I stand with you. In that moment, they might be feeling like they're alone in a cold universe, wondering if anybody can empathize with them. But you hear their suffering and you linger. And in that moment, you know what it feels like to be a wounded healer. Go through the grief. For everyone else, when a family member or a friend is going through divorce, how can you companion them through grief? And again, this is, let me even say this part, this is assuming they want you to. Sometimes Christians try to force help. They feel like, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus, so therefore it is my job to help you grieve. And sometimes people just don't want you to help them grieve. So please don't force yourself into the grief. You might not be the person to help them grieve, and that's okay. So we're talking if the person wants your companionship, like that deep companionship. How do we join them without harming them? I just want to give you just a little simple piece. To help someone grieve, just be with them. <laughs> it's that simple. Just be with them. Presence is so much more powerful than advice or Bible verses or encouraging one-liners. I wish Christians would have got this. You know, this album did for me what so many Christians failed to do. With good intentions, they failed miserably. It created space for me to mourn, 
unhurried presence. This album was a companion to me in my grief. And here's the thing, it let me lead. It let me do my pace with my feelings and my thoughts. It just offered presence. And that was exactly what I needed. So many Christians wanted to come in and tell me what I was supposed to do and how fast I needed to move through this. And it hurt so bad. I know Christians believe in joy and resurrection power and renewal, but when someone is grieving a divorce, they don't need you to fix them. They need company. They need a companion who will be with them, someone who won't hurry them through their grief because it's uncomfortable to watch or because it challenges your theology. When we try to hurry someone through grief, what we communicate to them is that they're not strong enough or that they don't trust God enough, or that they need to change because their bad decisions got them here. Candidly, Christians just need to learn how to sit down and shut up. To sit in the silence and honor the other's pain. We need to make room for another to weep and to curse and yell and break down and get mad at God and maybe even join them in all of that. Let's just go to the sun, stand at the beach, and and just swear at the sunset. I will yell cuss words with you if that's what you need. (laughs) To weep with those who weep. Because grief is healthy, and it's lonely, and it takes a long dang time, but it's critical for a soul in loss. So if we hope to be more than a preventative force, than just a preventative force, if we also hope to offer healing from the pain of divorce. We have to get better at presence. Grieving with those who are grieving. Just be. The church needs to get better at this. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And a couple prayers who I've talked to already in case you need to stand with someone. I don't know what this is bringing up in you. Um, Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe you're about to go into a divorce. Maybe your parents are divorced. Maybe you have a close friend who is. Or maybe you don't know anybody who is right now, and that's good. Maybe you need this song sung over you. Maybe you need to stand with someone who will pray with you and join you. Grieving divorce. I've got some bad news, and I've got some good news. The bad news, divorce is everywhere. It breeds depression and despair, and we can quickly find ourselves completely overtaken by hopelessness. The good news, divorce doesn't get the last word. It's real, it's awful, it's excruciating, but when you hang around Jesus, divorce does not get the last word. Loss does not get the last word. Suffering does not get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. Okay, well, what does that mean? How does that translate? You might be divorced or in the middle of a separation or in, in a, a bunch of tension in a marriage moving towards divorce. Or you might be watching a loved one deal with their divorce or separation. Wherever you are in relation to divorce, slow down and take a long glance at Jesus. If you do that, you're going to notice two things. First, he weeps. He doesn't belittle grieving. 
He's not above it because he's God. He honors it. He includes himself in it. He weeps with those who weep. I believe Jesus looks at each individual story of divorce, the division, the abuse, the pain, the loss, and he's grieving with us. He's weeping at the vandalism of his shalom. He's weeping at his creation being broken apart. But the second thing you'll notice, he's also deeply in touch with this boiling hope because he knows the end of the story. He's going to redeem all the brokenness, all of it. He's going to make it all whole again. Sin and death, divorce and loss will not get the last word. He will have the last word. So wherever you find yourself today in relation to divorce, your own loss or someone you know or someone across the globe, let that pain enlarge you rather than make you bitter and smaller. Decide that you will not let your heart harden, but that this will soften you. And that that entry point of your wound, the pain, the grief, that that will be the exact place through which God's love can flow through you. That by way of your presence, another one can know that they're not alone, that their divorce will not have the last word. Jesus, we... We grieve, whether it's our own loss or someone we, we know and love dearly or even just the many, many divorces that have happened in our city and the people that have been pained and destroyed by it. We grieve with you and we ask for your healing touch to meet us in our brokenness. We pray that hope would rise in us, God, to trust you. Help us to be present with people. Help us to be present to our own thoughts and feelings. And that you would make yourself known, encountered by people in loss, God. We trust you with this pain. We stand with you in it as you stand with us in it, God. Amen.